This week marks 50 years since the test debut of Derek Randall. Older listeners may well remember him being a firm favourite of the England side, even though Messrs, Botham, Willis, etc. were grabbing the headlines. Uh, Derek Randall was always someone you looked out for in those days. And uh, we are joined by uh, Richard Clark, who has just written a really excellent article in uh, the cricket paper. Uh, And um, we welcome him to 1909. Richard, welcome back. Thank you for having me, Darren, and nice to meet you, Paul. So Derek Randall, what what, what a character and what what just a memorable figure he was from from a very different time of English cricket. Yeah, and I think that's what the piece was about. It was about the the loss of fun of uh, within English cricket. And I look at the, the, the England team of great team at, at the moment, but it's, it feels all very sanitised. There's the odd character like Mark Wood, but it feels very corporate, sanitised, prawn sandwich brigade, you know, measured press conferences where they're told to say this and told to say that. Derek Randall was different. Derek Randall, his character shone on the pitch. He was, he was just a happy guy. And he played his cricket in a happy way. He was an excellent, excellent fielder. I think, I think some people would say only John T. Rhodes was better. I mean, in terms of that sort of standout ability to um, pounce on a ball and throw down the stumps from distance, uh, fielding it wherever it may be in mid-wicket or in the covers, it really is John T. Rhodes is above Randall. But those two are the two that stand out in people's minds as a batsman. Um, he had his hits and misses. Um, obviously, the one four sorry, the one seven four in the centenary test, test in Australia was um, was the standout. But in the first innings of that, you know, he got he got peppered by Dennis Lilly and the famous um, <laughs> doff of the cap uh, picture that uh, accompanied the piece that I wrote, um, and it showed his character. And it's about fun, and he. He thoroughly enjoyed his cricket. He played um, uh, minor counties cricket till he was 51 for Suffolk because he thoroughly enjoyed the game. And I read some quotes saying, I enjoyed the minor counties stuff more because it was more fun. And, um, uh, you know, in a, pre- in a previous life, I worked, uh, I worked at, uh, um, uh, at a major football club, right? And the f- I, I've also written a blog about my favourite interview was with a guy called Arthur Milton, the last player to play for England at football and cricket. And the reason why he's my favourite interview is because he did it because it was fun. He wanted to play with his mates. And that essence of fun comes through with Derek Randall. And I think it's been lost in the modern game. And I miss it. Do you think there are any vestiges of it? And I get um, what you're... I, I take your point completely about the England team. And I'll elaborate on that uh, in a bit. But do you think county cricket is still... Uh, as miserable as the national team, or do you think there's still fun uh, and characters around the county circuit? I think there's always fun that can be had, but we are in a sport in the last 20 years, 30 years in the UK has, has moved to become a business. And within sporting clubs, um, you have people treating it like a business and the positions are filled by business people. Therefore, they are going to go, going to perpetuate that, that concept of this being a business. It needs to be serious. Money needs to be at the heart of it. Winning leads to money. Therefore, we have to treat this like a business because that's the most important thing. I disagree with that because I was an Essex fan 20 years ago, 40 years ago when we won in 79. 
and we were the best team till 94. And then there was a whole heap of rubbish from 94 till about three years ago. And I was still an Essex fan. So I, as a fan, am not, uh, I, my fandom is not based on results, right? Whereas the clubs, and this is all sport, especially football, of course, but it's permeated down into cricket. The clubs treat the game as it's a result business. It's not a results business because if it was a results business, I'd have, I'd have supported three or four different counties between 1994 and, and, uh, and 2016 when, when we won the, uh, the second division. So there's pockets of it and it's, it's much more possible to have that fun element to it because remember as a cricket fan, as a county cricket fan, you're a member, you're not a season ticket holder. So there, that, invest, that invested element is a little bit deeper but I worry that it's all going in the same direction, which is we need to win. We need to be corporate. There needs to be a sheen across this. And the personality that fans love is lost. There's the odd person like Mark Wood. I think Mark Wood, that, that breaks through. But there's precious few of them, precious mm. few. I think from that era, it was quite a common thing. I mean, just sticking with Derek Randall. I mean, for all of the personality that he showed on the pitch and the nattering away to himself and the dopping of the cabin and everything. He was actually a very good cricketer, wasn't he? He's a great cricketer. Yeah, I mean, he's a great batsman. I mean, and, and I think he was 47 caps, but he was actually a little bit in and out um, as, a, as a player. He didn't get that. I think I mentioned it in the piece that he was never quite trusted by the selectors. I think, you know, I knew, I mean, in the piece I talk about the fact that he's a bit of a working class hero. He played for Retford. He played for Nottinghamshire. He only, all his success, his biggest successes, he frames in the Nottinghamshire area. He's now, you know, there's a clip of him coaching kids, a clip on YouTube of him coaching kids at a Nottinghamshire school. And he's the same sort of languid approach, but he's so enthusiastic for the game. And, and this was coaching three or four years ago. Uh, just look it up because he's the same fella. Um, but, you know, he had a good test career. 47 caps is no bad thing. But I do think there was, um, in those days, there was a little bit of a, I think there's a little bit of a class thing going on, to be honest. Let's be honest. Yeah. And um, he didn't always fit the bracket of the, uh, of the, of the good public school chap, because I don't think he was. Compare that to the current day game. Uh, and I've talked about this before on the show. So this is why I was really pleased to read your piece. When I see England taking wickets... I see bulging veins. I see blood red, thundering faces, aggressive shouting, fist pumping, almost feral behaviour uh, in the middle, which I find, you know, sort of cause and effect maybe. But the thing that I would question is I don't see it everywhere. Now, I look at when Pakistan take wickets or the West Indies take wickets or even someone like Bangladesh, even... New Zealand to to bring it sort of to the relevance of the number one rated team. Do you think that England are under more pressure from all of the influences you talked about than other nations? Uh, more than anybody else, I don't think anyone's under more pressure than the Indian team, to be honest. Um, but the England team, obviously, they are under massive uh, pressure for their places, for their light, for their livelihoods. I love the New Zealand team because I I, I read about them and it was like. We, we tried to sledge, but we gave it up because we're rubbish at it, you know, and Kane Williamson, um, uh, Nasser Hussain, who's obviously considered quite a hard edged cricketer. 
um, was laughing to himself almost on commentary because Kane Williamson tried to run out, uh, I think it was Coley, uh, missed the stumps, hit Coley, and then apologised, <laughs> right? Because even though it was a perfectly legitimate throw at the stumps, he happened to hit Coley. It wasn't massively hard, but Kane, Williams, uh, Kane Williamson wants to apologise. And Nasser Hussain is tutting at that. And I also sense there's an, essence, an element of him tutting at it because that's not what I would do. <laughs> and it proves how, it proves how um, gentlemanly they are. And they're loved for it. They're absolutely loved for it. I mean, football, uh, sorry, sport has become very serious. And obviously football's taken, you know, back in, when Derek Randall was playing, there was a football and a cricket season and cricket dominated its most of the summer. Now that has changed and football dominates 24 seven. It's obviously the, the, the Premier League, huge money, huge interest, huge um, uh, uh, revenue in for the players, for the executives, for the teams, et cetera, et cetera. And that's everyone, every other sport, in my opinion, looks at that. And as you know, I've worked in major sport all over the world and they look at what's making the most amount of money and you try and copy that. I argue as a sports fan, money's not important to me. And I also I wrote a book last year, which I, I, you were very kindly to have on to have me on to talk about. Fantastic. Well plugged. Thank you very much. <laughs> there you go. Um, you can just buy it now a... on Amazon and all other places. Anyway, plug over. <laughs> um, but um, I wrote about the fact that, that so much of cricket in particular, but all sports, is based on volunteers. It's based on volunteers. The first person who would have coached most England players, I think, would have been a volunteer. <laughs> right they okay the club might have paid for them to get a um a coaching qualification or something like that but it often be be someone's dad so much of the game is based on free labor okay because of love of the sport and i i argue i believe that sport itself doesn't repay that um in interest uh, affection and support not just financial but there's there's, there's an, and cricket's better than many Cricket's better than money, but it doesn't pay it back. And that's there's a disconnect because I've got a lot of um, interest in this article that I've written about Derek Randall um, and people talking about money's taken over. It's too serious, et cetera, et cetera. Derek Randall paid, played for the love. And that's why we're talking about him uh, uh, 50 years after his professional career started. You know, how many of the England players will be will be talked about in 50 years time with such affection? How many will be entertaining after dinner speakers? Well, well, yeah, well, yeah, that, that, that's the other thing as well. But it's 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 fun. It, sport. Ev everyone goes into sport because it's fun, and there are the precious few that make a professional career out of it, and they have to change their attitude. But everybody goes into sport initially because they enjoy it for itself, for the competition, and for what you can gain out of it as a as a, as a person, as a human being. Is the um, football European Super League kind of like the uh, the horror story progression of uh, of this corporate money takeover of sport? Using football as an example. Um, sorry, what do you mean? What What's the question? There? In the sense that the sport gets forgotten about, the fans get forgotten about, and it becomes just a, a complete money making exercise. Therefore, um, we don't care. This will make money, and everyone gets rich. Yes, and it's also creaming off off the top. It, it's there, there are huge um, pillars 
that hold up every sport. A lot of those are volunteers. A lot of those are literally the grassroots. And of course, that's the argument against the 100, that it's creaming off the top and not supporting the pillars of the game itself. And the, and the European Super League, though, is, is you could argue, it is, the, it is the logical conclusion of where we've been going. Right. It's the logical conclusion, because whenever it was uh, uh, 1992, the Premier League starts. OK, they're jettisoning potentially 72 clubs and the, and the Premier League's where it's at. OK, well, now uh, 30 years later, now the Premier League saying, well, actually, it's really only about six, t- six clubs at the top. So we'll go and we'll jettison you. So it, it's all about the money makers looking to make more money for themselves and jettisoning the that those below that they perceive drag them down i would argue you need them to support the whole of the game it's a little bit different in football but in cricket you know we we have an existential crisis in cricket this this sport that we all love and you two i know are, are very much involved in the grassroots um of, of the sport there is an existential crisis you, it's it's you've seen it since 2005 participation has gone down it's not being played in schools some good work being done by by the ecb with um all stars and and and, and the other schemes they've brought in this year and um there is some good work being done and the question that the hundred answers is the right question to ask it's just that the answer is wrong and it's an interesting point because if you if you bring everything back the the volunteer aspect is now actually becoming more and more infrequent you know, clubs are based on volunteers, absolutely. But people nowadays want to be paid. And that's, that's sad. Really? Really? Right. Okay. The, the, all the volunteers want to be paid? Well, not they're, they're not volunteers no, not by definition, definition if they want to be paid. But. Certainly not all, no. But, but it's a generational thing now. I think, you know, people expect, uh, some, some people, by no means all people, some people expect something in return. It, it's interesting because I... My argument is that the pandemic may be in some ways a positive for the grassroots of sport because it has potentially reframed our focus on what sports means to us and also hopefully knocked a few um, uh, heads together at local authorities and say, well, look, our community, where does our community come together? Well, there's arts, but there's sport. And sport is one of the most obvious ways. And so combining um, non-league football and how does non-league football survive without local authority help? How does a club like your club is Billericay, right? I mean, how does that survive without some local authority assistance in some way, Um, you know, going forward? Uh, But also understanding that your role as a club is going to support your futures are going to be more linked. The future of community and and the clubs within that community are going to be closer linked, in my opinion, if we can come out of this pandemic and keep this positivity in this community. And, you know, and, and, you know, we weren't clapping for the NHS two years ago, but we all believed in it. Now has, have we changed our heads to the extent that we can turn around to our neighbor that we're outside clapping alongside and think, okay, I'm going to help them a little bit more. You know, does that mean being taxed at a local level a little bit more, as long as I can see it's going to the right places? Perhaps there's a green shoot of positive positivity there. Perhaps. 
I think that's the approach that we're taking at both at Billericay and Brentwood. And, and I think you're right. I think you make a good point that the pandemic has reinvigorated the sense of community and in the fact that if we can involve the community, even those that aren't in, interested in cricket, but just as a, as a focal point of, uh, of bringing people together and basically mutual back scratching, you know, if we've got 300 members, that's 300 customers potentially for your business, your small business, whatever. Um, that seems to be the way that we're sort of coming out of the pandemic. Yeah, and, and, and I hope that works. I hope that works because, I mean, it's, it's more apparent perhaps in non-league football because they are run as businesses perhaps um there's always <laughs> they're um very homespun businesses shall we say but they are businesses and non-league football and the sort of higher echelons of club cricket kind of fit together in a sense and um i don't know how non-league football survives without that community aspect to it i don't know how it's how it's going to because the pandemic has laid bare some of the some of the lack of economic business thinking that underlines these sports so you know unless you say right your your football club your cricket club is now a community asset you know and therefore we're going to run it um not with profit in mind but with social good in mind is that going to we've moved a long way from Derek randall by the way we've a long way from, just to interrupt myself we've moved a long way from Derek randall you're not doing this interview very well get it back on Derek no. randall. i'm talking politics now well i'm talking amateurs and volunteers <laughs> all right bring it back to cricket then um the excellent and, and and kind of there is a logic here but kind of probably the high point of the sort of the romantic era as we're sitting here as uh, old fuddy-duddies Spinwash 93 which when you watch it now and I, I've sat and watched it with my son and to him it looks like a club tour and it is an absolute world away from the team that England has become it is quite amazing and, and I've been telling people for the last couple of weeks that this is a must watch thing for those that don't know it's Dermot Reeve took a handy cam, and if you don't know what that is, look it up, on the tour, and they dug out the footage, and it's a kind of a behind-the-scenes look at England touring in India in 93. Disaster on the pitch, but off the pitch, very, very enlightening, wasn't it? Yeah, and that, but the modern lens, and this is what I've been talking about, the modern lens would say, it's a disaster on the pitch, you're being paid a lot of money, this isn't good enough. Yes, it did look like a tour a boys tour and you know um i've read Der Derek pringle's book recently and that is you know so we went to this nightclub in between the third day and the and the fourth day of the test at laws me and me, me and beefy did this blah 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 this this is this is a world away this you know these days someone with a with a camera or a phone is going to that yeah. footage is going to be all over twitter the next morning you can't get away from that but you know there's nothing wrong. And bear in mind, just to uh, put a caveat across the whole, this whole conversation, sports people are invested in, they need to be serious and they do need to compete at the highest level. I'm not arguing against that. I'm just saying it doesn't have to be so overly sold. It doesn't have to be so corporate. Getting back to Spinwash, I mean, fascinating documentary, fascinating documentary about those characters, but that is very much seen as the line the line between the old and the new. And Pringle's book also is, is just before that spin wash 
era. And I think the way that would be mediated now, obviously with a uh, looking back 30 years, it's, it's jolly fun. These days, that would be considered a disgrace what went on on that tour, not only on the pitch, but off the pitch in terms of terms of perfor- performance, uh, the, the way they acted and having to be professional um, at all times. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Mm. Um, it was a different world. And yeah, it's a different, it's a difficult point because you want it to be fun, but you want the team to do well, right? You want the team to maximise their ability. Did we do that by, by the amount of beer that they drank? I argue <laughs> these days, no. I'm, I'm not sure it was only just that. It was also just what for me was quite an eyebrow raising thing was just the setup. The fact that they only had one uh, medic on the tour. Uh, the scorer was taken ill and had to return home. So someone's, uh, Dermot Reeves' mum, I think it was. Dermot Reeves' uh, mum, yeah. Yeah, That's right. took over scoring duties. Uh, and they were travelling around on tiny little planes and uh, on trains to get across the country, um, stuff that you just wouldn't see now at all. Yeah, but that was sport 30, 40 years ago. I mean, that's part of the positive side of, of big business coming into it, of being thought of as a business with, uh, you know, Sky's TV deal. I would argue that, that the Sky deal in 2005, it meant less pe- people came to Billericay and Braintree to play cricket. But but that that's um, there was more more support staff, more infrastructure. So it's not just a, a black and white issue that as long as the money is used positively, um, you know, where you could argue that was money being used positively, that, that they are traveling, uh, their support staff is better, their infrastructure is better. But a lot of sports clubs, you know, I know sports clubs, I've worked at sports clubs that five, five or six years ago were struggling to get in football clubs that were struggling to get in a masseur, for example, professional 24-7 professional teams that are struggling to get in a masseur because yeah. it's not considered then th- they don't think that way right so the modern sports science is it's it's really developed very very quickly and the concept of you know um marginal gains a percent here a percent there with getting a masseur in ice baths sports science psychologists all this stuff it all it all adds up it all needs paying for it, it all make makes you more professional and that is undoubtedly a good thing but i think the other thing is the way the media treats it is important and the way the fans treat that because you put the modern media as i talked about put the modern media on spin wash and it's going to be disgrace uh bad stories everywhere okay now that's okay we we kind of accept that as as cricket consumers cricket media consumers we have to look through and understand what well, is that really we, we have to make the decision what do we want from our team how do we want them to act okay for example i um i want my cricket team to play hard be professional but i want them to be sporting okay i want them to uh, um respect uh the what i consider to be the right values Okay, even to the cost of victory, I'm happy for that to happen. Okay, I'm happy for that. So when Joe Root um, goes back at a West Indian player a couple of years ago and says there's nothing wrong with being gay, I oh, want Shannon that. From my, yeah, yeah, I want that from my England captain, right? I want the right person in charge. Um, you know, I talked about in the book when Adam Weeter at, at Kent walked when we were struggling eight or nine down and he walked for a court behind. That's what I want. I want that. Even if we'd lost the match and therefore lost the championship, I want that because that's the right thing to do. Sport is not just about 
solely winning for me. It needs to be done in the right way and we need to have values within it. Otherwise, it's just, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's just who's the fittest, who's, who's, who's the strongest. Sport has much more meaning in it for me. Prior to you uh, disappearing off, Richard, so first of all, um, I would urge everyone to look at this article in the Crickets paper. Uh, and it's on my website as well. It's on my website. You can get it on my website. And your website is? MrRichardClark.com. Uh, that's where it's, free, it's freely available. So that's why I'm correct. Okay. Sorry. And also to I, I, I don't want to do your inter- – I've interrupted you once. I'll stop interrupting. <laughs> no, it's quite all right. That's quite all right. I'm not grumbling, but you are. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Uh, Richard Clark, a.k.a. The Grumbler, uh, many, many thanks.